0: Good morning. Good morning. How are you? Good. Good. My name is Bill, and I have to tell you that this world is full of problems. This world is full, full of problems, whether it's uh, the cloud that just dumps rain on you on your way here, or the frigid temperatures of the ballroom here. <laughs> AC in the winter could be quite cold. Dubai, we have our own set of problems here in Dubai, don't we? Like Uh, I saw some of these memes on the internet, uh, like, what causes you chest pain? It's learning that the Dubai Mall will no no longer offer free parking. (laughs) That's a Dubai problem, huh? Speaking of Dubai Mall, here's some other ones. Uh, I tried to take the exit, the Dubai Mall parking. I don't think I took the right direction. You ever get lost? (laughs) Or, if you make it here and you live here in the summertime, it's not always rainy and blue skies. Uh, it, it gets quite hot. And so sometimes the only way to drive is with oven mitts on the car, right? The proper but let, let's face it, whether it's gigantic malls or frigid ballrooms, we do have real problems. And as much as we make light of it, the struggle indeed is real. I mean that a heartbreak that goes with having a sick family member back home and you can't do anything about it here. Or finances are tight and your friend is looking for work but they can't find that job yet. Or there's an ache or a pain and a loved one goes to the doctor and you receive news that is so much worse than you could have ever imagined. We face real problems, real struggles. That friendship that you thought you finally had someone that you could trust and relate with, and then your heart is crushed and you're betrayed. Whatever it is, we all face real struggles. There's grand atrocities and deep heartaches. So we're gonna see today how Jesus looks out on humanity And when he sees struggling when he sees suffering what he does about it because it's not just about words it's also about actions and we'll see jesus response to it because let's face it those of us whose our lives have been transformed by jesus We want to mirror Jesus' heart in these situations. And so if you're here and you're wondering, how does Jesus respond to the suffering? Yeah, there's a lot of suffering in the world. Well, you're gonna see Jesus' response, and today you'll also see uh, our response as followers of Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus, then you wanna respond the same way that Jesus responds. And so we want to learn how Jesus responds to such suffering because everywhere we look, there's suffering, right? I mean, everywhere we look, there's heartbreak. There's brokenness. I remember there was one guy at our church a couple of years ago. Uh, his name was Byron. And Byron uh, was part of the team that started our job seeker support ministry uh, to, to help people find comfort in God as they search for a job, as well as practical advice on uh, searching for jobs in the UAE. And I asked Byron uh, from South London, I said, Byron, What got you into this? What what drives you? Because he's meeting with people all the time. And here's the quote of what Byron said. I love it. Byron said in a South London accent that I can't do. He said, bro, Jesus has met my needs. So I want to show others he can do the same for them. That's it. And Byron has a beautiful heart and would always serve people's needs and meet them right where they were. And so we're going to see how Jesus responds to the struggle here and now. Not just a pie in the sky idea, but practically, how does Jesus respond? And we're going to see Jesus' response in three brushstrokes today. Three true stories, three accounts of Jesus seeing, struggling, and responding. And then we're going to see Jesus' motivation that is the thing that's driving all of these actions. So we're going to see in these three brushstrokes that Jesus does for others what they can't do for themselves that Jesus does for others what they can't do for themselves. All of, these, all of these true accounts are found in the book of Matthew, which is a book of the Bible written about Jesus' life in chapter nine. And we're continuing on in our series in the book of Matthew. Let's just look at this first, when, this first time Jesus does for someone what they can't do for themselves, all right? While he was saying these things to, to them, behold, a ruler came in and knelt before him saying, my daughter has just died. But come and lay your hand on her and she will live. Jesus rose and followed him with his disciples. You see, the ruler that spoke up to Jesus was probably a a government ruler and also a ruler of the synagogue at the time. It was a a religious and political ruler. He wasn't just a, a VIP, a very important person. He was a VVIP. This guy was a VVIP and comes to Jesus and Jesus says, oh, Yeah, they're struggling. Of course, I'll help. I think if this were modern day times, uh, there would be this motorcade that pulled up in like black Lamborghinis or a black G-Wagon or maybe a stretch limo or something. And the VVIP steps out and says, Jesus, we need your help. And Jesus says, great. He would climb in and, and go. But then just as the crew is headed toward the VVIP's house, all of a sudden, this woman, she doesn't even have a name in our story, this woman reaches out and touches the edge of Jesus' garment. She's been suffering from a discharge of blood for a long, long, long time. And behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for 12 years came up behind Jesus, and she just touched the fringe of his garment. For she said to herself, if only I touch his garment, I will be made well. Jesus stops the procession. He stops everything and he turns to her, neglecting his connection and responsibility to the VVIP. He connects with this relative nobody in the story. He turns to her and he says, take heart, daughter. Your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. You see there's in in jesus economy there's no hierarchy of who gets to be helped there's no one that is more or less important in the economy of jesus that everybody who suffers is worth the same amount of attention jesus sees suffering through the lens of love and he responds to her And and he calls her out in front of everybody. He calls her out not to make, make her ashamed, not to point out that she's done anything wrong, but to simply remind everyone that no power was taken away from him, but healing was given to her. That she was healed, not by any act that she had done, but simply, he says, it's your faith that has healed you. That Jesus does for her what she can't do for herself. And did you notice what he calls her? He says, take heart, daughter. He, he take, he ups the relationship. He says, take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. And then she was made well. And then Jesus came to the ruler's house and saw the flute players in the crowd making a commotion during their mourning. He said, go away for the girl is not dead, but sleeping. And in the midst of their mourning. They laughed at him, but when the crowd had been put outside, he went in and he took the girl by the hand and the girl arose. And the report of this went through all of that district. Did you, did you get that? He goes to this girl of the ruler, the VVIP, he takes her by the hand, even though people are laughing at him. And he does for her what she can't do for herself. He takes her by the hand. She's brought back to life and he walks out with her. And news of this spread everywhere. You see, Jesus is at work here and now in this true account, because he sees suffering of the woman, he sees suffering of the girl and both, he brings the dead to life, both he speaks life into the situation. The the woman knew that she was helpless. She knew that she was helpless. That's why she just had to touch the edge of his garment. And how much power does the little girl have who's dead to come and walk alive? How much power does she have to do that on her own? Nothing. 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 Jesus does for others what they can't do for themselves. He speaks and takes death and turns it into life. That's the first sketch that we see. We see that Jesus moves from dead to life, and that's what he's done for us. The deepest need we have, as important as physical life is, the deepest need we have is for eternal life, eternal life. Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. If you don't know Jesus, you don't know eternal life. And so, no, Jesus is the one that takes us from eternal death into eternal life. Jesus does for us what we cannot do for ourselves. He moves us from death to life. So that's the first sketch. the, The girl and the woman that Jesus speaks life into. But here's the second one of Jesus doing for others what they can't do for themselves. He repairs sight to the blind. He repairs sight to the blind. These two blind men can't even see Jesus, and yet they still cry out. They follow him and they cry out to Jesus. We continue on in verse 27. It says, and as Jesus passed on from there, two blind men followed him, crying aloud, have mercy on us, son of David. And when he entered the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said to them, do you believe that I am able to do this? And they said to him, yes, Lord. And then he touched their eyes, saying, according to your faith, be it done to you. And their eyes were opened. And Jesus sternly warned them and says, see that no one knows about this. But they went away and spread his fame through all that district. You see, these two blind men were crying out for help. And we see that Jesus responds to a cry for help using power for good. He uses power for good. He responds to a cry for help, and that is good news, is it not? In fact, speaking of uh, restoring sight to the blind, maybe you saw this article in the College Times of an Emirati woman who has a tumor removed through her nostrils, regaining her sight. Did you hear about that? And the reason it makes news, and that's good news, that the the doctors, she came into the doctors, she had a cry for help that she couldn't see because of a tumor, and the doctors responded by removing the tumor, and she regained her sight. And that's good news. And the reason it made the papers is that there was a cry for help and a response. If the title of the newspaper said that there was a woman who was blind because of a tumor, she cried out for help, and the doctors did nothing, that wouldn't be news. That would be tragic. And you see, that's, well, that's why Jesus sees struggling through the lens of love, and he responds. And Jesus doesn't even perform any procedure. No, these two men, Jesus just s- simply touches them, and they're healed. He says, according to your faith, according to your faith, be it done to you. And then to the two men that Jesus has just restored sight to, the two men that now can see, Jesus says see that no one knows about it did you catch that the two guys that can just see jesus says see that no one knows about this why that's weird well jesus wants people to follow him as the king of kings the king at work here and now he wants people to follow him for who he really is not as someone who provided some free medical care to two guys Jesus wants people to see indeed what it means to be the king at work and for people to follow him. Jesus sees these two men, and they had a significant limitation, and yet Jesus heals them. Now, it's such good news because the bigger the limitation, the bigger the need. The bigger the limitation, the bigger the need. If your need right now and you say, oh, I've come here today, I'm sitting in the ballroom, uh, or maybe you're watching this online and the place where you are is really cold, uh, you would say, ooh, I, I have a need for a jacket. Maybe it's your first time you wore short sleeves because it's your first time and you didn't know what to expect, right? <laughs> but, but you'd say, you know, I have a need, and, and really it's a small need because you can go outside to warm up, you can bring a jacket next time, you could come up here and take my jacket, that's fine. <laughs> And it's really not a need, but you see these men, how much power does a dead girl have to walk around in life? How much power? None. That's right. How much power do two blind guys have to just simply open up their eyes and see? How much power do they have? None. The bigger the limitation, the bigger the need. And when it comes to our souls, we have the greatest need in the world. We have the greatest need in the world because we cannot walk ourselves into spiritual life because no one is perfect. We can't even see the pathway to God without God opening up our eyes. And so if you're here and you are a follower of Jesus, know that not only has God moved you from death to life, but God has opened up your eyes so you can see as he sees and you can see the truth about Jesus. And that's good news, amen? Now, if you were blind, if you were blind and Jesus had healed you, would you keep that quiet? No, you wouldn't. No, you would take out your phone, you'd post your first selfie and you'd say, I can finally see my own post. And then you'd send it to everybody, right? You would tell everybody, you tell everybody. Cause it's such good news that the king is at work here and now. And so we see the the first brushstroke we have is the the woman and the girl. The second brushstroke is the two men that were born, uh, that were blind. And then Jesus restores their sight. And the third brushstroke we see, the guy can't even ask for help. The girl had her dad to advocate for her. The two blind men were crying out, have mercy on us. And yet this third story, the person doesn't even have a voice with which to ask for help. This is the third way Jesus does for others what they can't do for themselves. He restores the voice for the mute. And when they were going away, this is continuing on in verse 32, and they were going away, behold, a demon-oppressed man who was mute was brought to him. And when the demon had been cast out, the mute man spoke, and the crowds marveled, saying, never was anything like this seen in Israel. But the Pharisees said, he casts out demons by the prince of demons. Know that there's this man that can't even speak and ask for help, and yet Jesus sees suffering through the lens of love, and he responds, giving that man a voice. If you're here a couple weeks ago or you've seen it online, uh, you know we talked about demon possession and demon oppression a couple weeks ago. So if you want to know a little bit more about that, you can watch the video online. Because the point of this passage is that the mute now has a voice. But look at the crowd's response. Look at the crowd's response. The crowd marveled. They were going, wow. Never has anything like this happened. This is amazing. For those with ears to, ears to hear and eyes to see, they see the king at work and they go, wow. Now, for those that are hard-hearted, the Pharisees, They look at Jesus and they don't think, wow, they think, huh, yeah, right. He casts out demons by the the prince of demons. You see, Jesus' work here and now stirs hearts. When Jesus is at work here and now, it stirs hearts. It stirs hearts. Those with eyes to see and ears to hear, those who God has opened up eyes to see the the truth, that, that, that they see what Jesus has done, they go, wow. Those that are hard-hearted, the overly religious, or those that are proud, look at it and go, nah, can't be. No. Did you see the progression in our three stories, the progression of the crowds? The first is the dead girl in verse 26, and the report of this went through all the district. Okay, great. Uh, then Matthew 9:31 so, about the blind man says, uh, but they went away and spread his fame through all the district. Okay. And then Matthew 9.33 is even more after the restoring of the voice to the mute. It says, never has anything like this been seen in Israel. And then the hardened hearts say, ah, he cast out demon by the prince of demons. You see, when Jesus is at work here and now, it stirs hearts. And we can't help but respond to the king at work. Because the greater the limitation, the greater the need. And when it comes to finding true comfort in deep suffering, there is no greater healer than Jesus. You know, I heard, I was talking with a friend this week, and he was telling me uh, he just got back from Nepal. And he and and a friend went into Nepal, and they were visiting different people, and uh, they went into this prison. They spoke with the warden of the prison, uh, the, the leader of everyone, the one in charge, And they simply said, what what are the greatest needs in this prison? And Nepal is a a very... You think it's cold here in the ballroom sometimes? You think it's cold with AC in the cinemas? It's colder in Nepal, okay? And he said, you know, all of our inmates that are in the prison, they get so cold. They're sick. They're dying. They're just so cold and there's no way for us to keep them warm. And the, the two men said, well, can we can we provide some clothes some blankets can we and the the warden says sure i guess if you want to so they went out and they collected as much as they could and they said hey let's let's collect blankets let's collect sweaters let's collect ways to keep these men warm and they brought it back to the jail and they gave it to the warden he distributed it to everybody and he goes wow Wow, you've provided for for the needs. You've got to to say something. Why did you do this? You've you've got to say something. Here, I'm going to call an assembly, and and can you talk to everybody about this? And they said, yes, but we're going to talk about Jesus. And the warden said, I don't care. You can talk whatever you want to. And for 45 minutes, they got to share the good news of Jesus. Amen. They saw the struggle through the lens of love, and they responded, both in work and in word. And, and that's what we see where we see Jesus' motivation. now God is always uh, motivated for his own glory. And we see a snapshot of that in Jesus' motivation here. Those are the, th- the three ways that Jesus does for others, what they can't do for themselves. And now we get to see his motivation, what's driving him. Because it's not his, the fame throughout all the land. No. It's not that people would talk about him or that people would marvel at him or even that he would cause uh, conflict with the Pharisees. That wasn't even Jesus' motivation. Here's Jesus' motivation, and then we'll see it's followed by an invitation. All right? Jesus' motivation is compassion. It's compassion. Suffering alongside someone. It's, it's to see suffering, to see struggle through the lens of love. Jesus' motivation was Compassion. let's look at his response. Jesus went throughout all, or it says, as they were going away. Oh, here we uh, Sorry. Verse 35. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease. How many diseases? Every. every. And how many afflictions? Every every disease, every affliction, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. Because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus looked at their looked at the crowds that were harassed and helpless, and he responds in compassion. When you look out and you see struggle, what's your response? What's your response to struggle? Uh, Maybe there's some of us that have a little bit of a a robotic heart or uh, a hard heart or a cold heart. I prefer a robotic heart. Maybe you have a robotic heart and you see struggle and you look at it and you go, huh? Well, that's too bad. Oh, well, let's move on, right? Or, Or maybe you're a little warmer and you say, oh, I'd love to help. Yes, I'd love to help. Wait, how much does it cost? (laughs) <laughs> no, I don't really want to help. No, I'm right. sorry. Right. Or maybe your heart is even warmer still and you say, oh, uh, the problem is too big. The problem is too big. I can't make a difference. Who am I to make a difference? This problem is way too big. Or maybe uh, you, you have a bleeding heart. And you look at the people with robotic hearts and you go, Oh, I'll never be a robot like that. I see a need. I'm going to do it. I've got to do something. So I'm going to do everything. Any bleeding hearts out there? You find yourself just pouring out and you see a need and you meet a need, you see a need, you meet a need, you see a need, you meet a need, you see a need, you meet a need, need, and then you get done and you're just exhausted and no one is really helped. (laughs) Does that frustrate you ever? There's always more need than you have energy. Or maybe you're driven just a little bit deeper in that, and you say, they need something, they need me, so I have to help them. You see, our response to seeing, struggling, isn't that we would do it on on ourselves. We wouldn't say, I'm going to help. We say, I'm taking you to Jesus, because he can help. He is the one motivated by compassion. In fact, at fellowship, we value putting compassion into action, that's one of our values. We value putting compassion into the action, compassion into action, and we know the Bible talks about compassion and action all the time. Colossians 3 says, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Have you put on a compassionate heart? Galatians 6 says, Bear one another's burdens. And so fulfill the law of christ when is the last time you bore someone else's burden sometimes we feel like we have enough burdens on our own we can't bear someone else's burden i love this one in second corinthians 1 it says blessed be the god and father of our lord jesus christ the father of mercies and god of all comforts who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. How do we comfort them? We comfort them with the comfort with which we ourselves have been comforted by God. We put compassion into action. Ephesians 4 says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. I asked our Compass Ministry, which is the ministry that helps us put compassion into action, it helps us care for fellowship, and uh, I said, what does it look like for us to put compassion into action? What does that look like? And this, this is the list they gave me that I found really informative, really helpful. Compassion is a willingness to be interrupted. Are you willing to be interrupted? Sometimes we're wrapped up in the crush and rush of everyday life. Compassion involves presence and care. Compassion is part of how God has wired us. If you want to geek out, just Google mirror neurons, and you'll see that our brains are actually hardwired to show compassion. Compassion often involves actions and solutions. Compassion lays down biases and assumptions, and actually showing compassion to others improves our mental health. You see, when we see that Jesus is motivated by compassion, we too are wired to show compassion, to see struggling through the lens of love and to act here and now. To act here and now and sometimes it's easier than others. In fact, I told you about Byron before. A couple years after I met Byron, I got to know him. I would spend time uh, with him. He would be in my home. I'd go out for coffee with him. We had this great relationship as he was serving the people of fellowship. One morning, uh, my wife got a phone call early in the morning, and it was Byron's wife. And his wife, CC, said to my wife, Byron is not moving anymore. He fell in the middle of the night, and now he's not moving. Darby says, here, you talked to Bill, and I talked to Cece, and she described how Byron had fallen, and then he had been speaking uh, with slurred speech, and he couldn't move very well, and I said, I'm on my way. I'm on my way. I got in my car. I drove as fast as I possibly could to Byron's place. I just walked right in there, walked into the bedroom, and I see my friend and my brother slumped over the bed, the top part of his body on the bed, his legs limply dangling on the floor. And I used all the strength I could, and I lifted his legs onto the bed. And through a series of questions, byron the only thing that could work was Byron's eyes could blink and one of his hands could lightly squeeze my finger as I asked him yes and no questions. And as I asked him questions, I realized that my friend was most likely having a stroke and had been having a stroke for hours. Completely helpless, laying in bed, I called ambulances, and this is just as things were opening up during COVID. And I called ambulances and no no one would come and pick up Byron. And the one ambulance I called, I said, you have got to get here. He will die. And finally, the ambulance came and it took all of our strength to lift Byron onto the gurney, almost completely out of it. After we had loaded him onto the gurney before he went to the hospital, I took this picture thinking that it was probably the last time his son was going to see his dad alive. His dad was laying there helpless, harassed and helpless, completely incapable of anything. And as we raced him to the hospital, we took his son, and we we took care of his son and and tried to encourage them. And we went to the hospital with his wife, and and over the course of a couple days, he received expert medical care. And to this day, God preserved Byron's life that day. Amen. (laughs) In fact, he's he's gone through therapy and and rehab, and God continues to provide for him and continues to to build him up. In fact, Byron, you're probably watching, bro. We love you and praise God that God saved your life. Amen. I texted Byron, and I said, Byron, uh, what were you thinking? What what memory do you have of being there helpless in bed? And he said, I just know that I called out to the Father, and the Father sent someone to help. I have to tell you, as powerful and as moving as that story is, reflecting on it in preparation for this message, I I, I saw that Byron was completely helpless, and I knew just from my gut, shouting out to the ambulance drivers, come or he will die. I saw my friend in need, and I thought, move, do it. But I also stand here before you convicted, because for someone I love, I can put compassion into action in a heartbeat. But I have friends and neighbors who spiritually, without hearing about Jesus, without God interceding in their lives, they won't just perish physically. Spiritually, they will die. And as I think about them, when I think of Byron, my heart says move, and when I think of them, sometimes I feel meh. And I'm convicted because in Jesus' economy, there is no hierarchy of putting compassion into action. And and as I wrestled with this and prayed about this, I thought, God, how many times do I have friends, neighbors, family members that, that spiritually are completely helpless without you, and yet I remain silent? Or the times where i see a need a physical need and i just want to meet it at the physical level instead of realizing the deepest spiritual need we have is already met in jesus and i'm so grateful to god that our passage today doesn't end with just jesus motivation but we see his invitation his invitation and this is jesus invitation join him in carrying out compassion join him in carrying out compassion Look at how our passage ends today. Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages. He was teaching. He had compassion on them. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. You see, the harvest is plentiful because God is moving within humanity The harvest is plentiful because there is so much struggle, there is so much brokenness, there's so much disease and decay, The humanity is longing for the good news of Jesus. And he invites us to carry out compassion with him. The question is, will we do that? If we've been transformed by Jesus, if we really have been moved from death to life, if our spiritual eyes have gone from blind to seen, if we now have a voice with the Father in a right relationship with God himself because of Jesus, why would we keep silent? That the world is in desperate need. So let's join Jesus as he carries out compassion. And I want to invite you one practical way. I want you to take out your phones and to set your alarm for 1002. If you're a morning person, do it in the morning. If you're an evening person, do it for the evening. Set your alarm for 10.02. The reason that it's 10.02 is that a parallel passage to this is Luke 10.2. And the pastors, we have our phones set for 10.02. Pastor Tim, who was up front, encourages us all. Set your alarms for 10.02. And when the alarm goes off, all you do is you just pray to the Lord of the harvest. You say, God, send workers out into the harvest. The harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. So I'm praying to you, the Lord of the harvest. Father, send me. And that's it at 1002. Imagine, imagine how we could see true compassion meeting deep needs put into action as all of fellowship prayed together at 1002. In fact, if you haven't set your alarm, set your alarm now, because at our last service, I got done with the message, and I got done praying at 10:01. And as I walked on that corner there, at 10:02, as the music started to swell a little bit, all of a sudden this beautiful divine distraction entered the room with all these phones going, And I was like, "Yes. Yes, we need to be shaken out of our apathetic, crushed and rushed of everyday life to see struggle through the lens of Jesus' love, here and now. You see, Jesus looks out on the brokenness of humanity and he responds. And as we pour our lives into the lives of other people, we will realize very quickly that although we can meet a little need, That the the deepest need that people have, we cannot meet, but Jesus can. As Jesus looks out on the battered and broken humanity, he responds as a king at work here and now. That that Jesus takes humanity from spiritual death to eternal life. That our king at work cures the incurable. Our king at work redeems the irredeemable. And our king at work repairs what seems irreparable. And he invites us to join him in carrying out compassion. I look forward to what God will do as we join Jesus, as he carries out compassion. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we do pray uh, reminded that the harvest is plentiful. Father, I, I thank you for the conviction of your Holy Spirit in your word. That as quick as I was to show compassion to Byron, that I'm kind of stingy sometimes. That sometimes I'm afraid or I'm just wrapped up in myself. Every day when that alarm goes off, Father, I, I pray you'd help me, that you'd help all of fellowship that we could see suffering through the lens of Jesus' love, that you would stir us, you would give us courage to share what you have done in our lives. You have brought us from death to life. You've opened up our eyes. You've given us a voice to speak and to sing. Help us to use that well for your glory. Not that people would know us. Help us to get out of the way so that people can simply see you. We thank you. We thank you for how Jesus has radically transformed us. And we thank you for the invitation to join him as he carries out compassion. And we pray all these things in his mighty name. Amen. Amen. Let's sing.